Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. You can catch a live recording of the show over on YouTube where I stream every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Go subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. It's Angela Ucci, Heaven and Healing Podcast, and be sure to ring the bell to be notified for live stream reminders and more. Whatever platform you're currently listening on, please give the show a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's ears. And please consider partnering with the ministry as Heaven and Healing is entirely crowdfunded. There are different options to support the show down in the episode description. Thank you so much for your continued support and prayers. Enjoy the episode and God bless. I feel like every every single week I do these live streams, I have to go to Walmart. So that's that's fun. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's start talking about some of the questions that I got tonight. Um, let me see here. Again, please like the video if you haven't already. And um, please subscribe to the channel if you have not already. And please consider partnering with the ministry. We'll talk about that more at the end. Um, and please ignore my swollen lip. Looks like I got Botox, but I didn't. I just burnt it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, oh, before I begin, I want to say one more thing. Y'all, I am currently, so Heaven and Healing is starting a new segment for the new year called Testimony Tuesday. And that's going to be where you actually have a chance to feature on the show. And it's going to be a year-long segment. Right, So there's going to be a total of 52 testimonies, one released every Tuesday. You have to go to my Instagram. I'm going to leave that in the chat right now. My Instagram is in the chat, okay? So go to my Instagram and fill out the link in my bio. That's how you submit your testimony. From there, I will get back to you if yours is chosen and we will, we will do the next step. Um, but... I still need maybe about 15 that I want. Gotten a lot of submissions, but there are just some that, again, my husband and myself have prayed over this, that Holy Spirit is really highlighting to be shared. So we still need about 15 more, and then we will start reaching out to y'all. Um, yeah, this was actually my husband's idea. The Lord gave him this beautiful idea because, you know, heaven and healing has never been about me, but the Lord has just blessed this platform so tremendously that what else are we going to do y'all right we got to share his glory and his name and so because you are also supportive and this whole entire show is about jesus um heaven and healing right we got to share the testimonies so yeah go to my instagram and please submit your testimony if you'd like to be featured on the show they will be about they'll be like 20 minute video submissions but like i said just start by Submitting and then we will take it from there. Now I got about 100 people on, so I'm going to start getting into the questions now. So our Q&A tonight. First question from Night Guy. <laughs> it's underscore N-I-K-E-Y-E -E underscore. Asked, advice on keeping up with Bible studies. So I'm just going to start by saying that the devil's always going to give you a reason not to keep up on your Bible studies. 
There's always going to be some sort of excuse. There's always going to be something that you have to do. There's always going to be some sort of reason, you know, oh, I have to sit here at this time. I have to do this or this first. There's always going to be a reason in your flesh or a reason that the devil is tempting you away from your Bible study. So it's important to note that first, right? And once you actually get into the word, this happens to me all the time. Once you actually sit down in your word, you you understand why the devil protests so hard for you not to. Because the Bible says that it is alive. It is a double-edged sword. So it cuts away at not only things outside, you know, of the world, of the demonic, but it cuts away at things in you that you need to be convicted of or that you need to be refined through. And so the devil doesn't ever want you to mature in the Lord. Um, and your flesh always wants to resist. But you remember that one verse where Jesus says, where the flesh is is weak, the spirit is willing. So you just gotta, you just gotta do it. And I know it sounds so cheesy, but it's like that discipline, right? Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, and now that being said, I would say have have less ambitious goals when it comes to the Bible, you know. The way I see it, and I think the Lord would agree that one verse a day is better than no verses a day, right? One verse a day is better than no verses a day. So as opposed to sitting, making this ambitious goal for yourself, especially if you're just starting out or if you're having trouble with the discipline to begin with, it's just, um, oh, I need to sit down and read X amount of chapters. I need to read this book and this time I need to, I need to do an, I just did a 90 day Bible plan. I need to do a 90 day Bible plan. Don't make it so ambitious. Just make it something, right? Just start somewhere. Um, and you know, the, the truth of the matter is this question is from the flesh, you know, some loving rebuke. This question is from the flesh because none of us have any excuse, right? We just need to do it. We make excuses for not getting in the Bible, but the reality is, is there is no excuse for not feeding from the daily bread. That is the living word of God, right? Think about how there are people in other countries that are literally dying for owning a Bible or they're putting their lives at risk to even be able to read the Bible. We're just so privileged, especially in America, that we let our excuses become bigger than our, our obligation and our priority to put the relationship that we have with God above everything else. And so think about that. The next time you're finding yourself kind of struggle getting into your word, there are people on the other side of the world dying just to have a Bible in their hands. And you have one collecting dust on your shelf. So... Also, like, honestly, get off this stream right now. Go read your Bible. Um, you know, it's really great publicity for myself, but it's the truth. It's the truth. I like that. Someone in the, in the chat said, when in doubt, read one Psalm and go from there. That's awesome. Someone else said, does listening to the word count? Yeah, it counts. But honestly, there's nothing like the experience of holding your Bible, flipping the pages. It, it's unmatched. To having it on your phone. It's absolutely unmatched. What I like to do sometimes is listen to it, but also have the physical Bible in front of you. I think that's really, really helpful. Second question from J-A-V-E-N Abbott. Haven Abbott, Javen Abbott from Instagram says, I'm a huge believer, but like, why is being Christian bad if you love Taylor Swift and are a Swifty too? 
So I think I think they kind of misworded that question. Sounds like basically this person is asking, why is it bad if I'm a Christian that listens to Taylor Swift? So first and foremost, got to plug my series. I did part one and part two on the same channel, Heaven and Healing podcast. Should Christians listen to Taylor Swift? And um, it's about three hours of content right there for you to just meditate on and take to the Lord. I have an entire highlight on my Instagram dedicated to T-Swift, so I'd recommend you look there as well. But the short of it is, first of all, the way this question is worded, right? Why are you even identifying as a Swifty? Because you should just be identifying as a Christian. You are a child of God. You are not a Swifty, okay? Um, goes to show right there for me, the person asking, she's an idol to you. And that right off the bat is a problem. Now, a more obvious answer, she's a witch. I mean, Taylor Swift is blatantly a witch. Look at the rituals at her era's tour. Look at the music videos that she puts out. Look at the lyricism of her songs. She's a witch. Look at the influence that she has. People going to her concerts saying that they don't remember having the experience. That's because they are under hypnosis. It's a, she, she is spell casting, y'all. And, you know, her, her lyrics are just blatantly antithetical to the word of God. Basically, every song that she has is, is complete rebellion of the word. Lust. Um, infidelity. Fornication. She sings about astrology. She sings about she sings about being witch hunted, right? Like there's just, there's just so much there and praise God. I don't really, I don't, I don't listen to her music anymore. So I can't as easily as I used to be able to think of all the themes of her music, but it's antithetical to God's word. What you let into your ear gates and your eye gates is what you end up thinking about, right? We should be renewing our minds in the word. That's how we are transformed. I kind of think it's interesting these questions come back to back, right? How do I get into my Bible more? And then why can't I listen to Taylor Swift? It's like, well, maybe if you would spend less time engaging in worldliness, in secular music, secular TV, secular activities, you would be hungrier for the word of God, right? You can't be hungry for the word of God if you're hungry for secular music because those two things are in direct opposition to one another. Secular music, not just Taylor Swift, all the mainstream popular secular music is antithetical to God's word. And I have an, an entire episode about how the music industry is satanic. And that's like the big wig music industry, the elitist music industry, right? Not talking about your neighbor that plays piano with the local cafe. The big wig music industry is satanic. They don't even hide it anymore. And you have to remember, right? Not only that, but like I said, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in the word of God, not conformed to the ways of this world. And music is a powerful mind control method. It's a powerful mind control method, which is why they literally use melodies when we are children to help us learn, right? How to, how to say the alphabet, how to count numbers. If you're from the States like me, then you have that whole song in elementary school of going through the 50 states you know the brain just automatically remembers things with melody it is essentially hypnosis and yeah you can't serve two masters you can't serve two masters 
So who's it going to be? Taylor Swift or Jesus Christ? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? What doctrine are you going to subscribe to? Taylor Swift music or the word of God? What's going to renew your mind? Taylor Swift music or the word of God? What are you going to be conformed to? Taylor Swift music or the word of God? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there, is any, and if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do any of the above, does any of the above even begin to moderately define the content or context of Taylor Swift's music, lyricism, performances, or lifestyle? And the answer is no, unfortunately. I say all the time... Taylor needs to be on our, Taylor Swift needs to be on our prayer list, not our playlist. Because if you really love her, if you really love her, you will stop feeding the idol that she has made of herself. You will stop feeding the broad road of destruction that she is currently walking on because her eternity is at stake here. And the more you contribute to that, the less of a chance that she has of calling out to the Lord. Not that you're responsible for her salvation, but you're certainly responsible for feeding that ego that she has, for feeding her fame. Just as we can't serve two masters, she can't serve two masters. And she's like the richest woman in the world right now. That's because of all of us that contribute to it. So she is bowing down, worshiping money. She is a slave to money because her audience is a slave to her. And so if we would just cut it out and start praying for her, imagine if every single person on this earth that has made an idol of Taylor Swift that listens to her music began praying for her instead of listening to her. Just some food for thought. Third question from Lovely Illusion. Weird, weirdish, weirdish Instagram name. Will you be baptizing Selah as an infant or waiting until she is older? Well, that is easy. Um, infant baptism is not biblical. Uh, Selah will be baptized when she chooses to be. Babies are incapable <laughs> of repenting for sin. Just make that clear. Babies are incapable of repenting for sin. And there is a biblical formula for baptism. And repentance is the first part of that. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent plus baptize, plus baptize. So in order to be baptized, you must repent. Selah, as an infant, will not be able to comprehend repentance. Thus, she will not be baptized. But she's prayed over constantly. All right, four, from Fuller Travel. How to respond when healing doesn't come. How to respond when healing doesn't come. You thank God for the healing that is coming. Okay. A lot of the times we see this in the book of Job. Okay. This is biblical for me to say this. When the healing doesn't come right away, it's a faith test. But the thing is, right? We have to surrender to his timeline, not ours. If we don't get the healing that we are praying for, asking for right away, 
We keep thanking him for healing. Pray all things with what? Thanksgiving and supplication like the scripture says. We have to surrender control. Okay, we cannot put faith on a timeline or else it's not faith. So if we pray for healing, mind or body, whatever it is, and it doesn't happen in an instant, that doesn't mean we don't keep praying for it or that we don't keep thanking God for it or that we we relinquish the faith that it will happen. It means that we surrender the expectation of when it will happen. Because again, we cannot put our faith on a timeline because the Bible defines faith as what we cannot see. And Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, lean not on our own understanding, in all of our ways, submit to him and he will make our path straight. That is a promise, right? So lean not on your own understanding. I pray right now for healing, doesn't happen. My own understanding says, okay, I did not see something occur here, but trusting the Lord with all your heart means knowing that his word is true when he says he's given us authority by his Holy Spirit and that he hears the prayers of the righteous. And that if we ask anything in his name with belief, we will receive it if it is of his will, right? So we thank him that healing is of his will. We thank him that our healing is on the way. And we just surrender control of what we expect of that experience and recognize that he is a good father that knows better. That is faith. That is faith. It's not always praying a prayer and having faith that that thing will happen right when you want it to. It's praying a prayer and having faith that that thing will happen as God ordains it to. Okay, so I could go really on and on about that. Um, so now we have... Oh, we got a troll in the chat that says God doesn't heal people because we just love to give glory to Satan, right? So, um, okay. So someone said, I know it sounds crazy, but do we have to forgive Satan? And this comes from Sarah L. Allison. So she's asking, it, it sounds crazy, but do we have to forgive Satan? So no. <laughs> Absolutely not. We we do not have to forgive Satan. In fact, we should not forgive Satan because God never will. Jesus himself says that there is literally no truth in Satan at all, that he was a liar from the beginning, and that his native tongue is the language of lies. Satan cannot be redeemed, okay? God gave Satan a chance to repent, and God has judged him as an as unrepentant and unforgivable which is why he was cast out of heaven and you have to remember even with the full knowledge of heaven satan chose to rebel right god gives mercy to us as humans because we don't have the full picture but satan and his angels have the full picture and they still chose to rebel and reject god but we as human beings have been given the chance to repent no matter what we have done, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And one of the biggest reasons that Satan hates us so much is because of this very thing, right? It's because of this very thing. This question is dangerous, right? Someone asking, should we forgive 
Satan, right? Because think about how the entire world is sympathetic of the devil. I remember seeing this Mark Twain quote like 10 years ago that really resonated with me as someone who was in the world. Um, and it said something along the lines of, but who in all of history has prayed for Satan, the one sinner that needs it most? And it really like struck deep with me. But you have to think about how I had no biblical context at the time. I did not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so I really didn't understand that Satan rebelled against God. He rejected God. Hell was created for Satan. And so again, th this, this question is dangerous because it's a clever ploy from the devil because the entire world is in a state of sympathizing with the devil. But, you know, we're special, right? Human beings are special. That's why Satan and the demons hate us so much. They hate us so much because we do have that opportunity to repent and we are so loved by the Lord. He has nothing but mercy for those of us that receive it. And one day we will judge the angels even. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 3, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So we are to judge angels even. Like that is, that is so, um, that speaks so much to our status with the Lord when we are born again and made righteous by his righteousness. It's absolutely just such a privilege and a blessing and Satan hates us. So no, we do not feel bad for Satan. We do not pray for Satan. We do not forgive Satan. In fact, we have all authority to crush scorpions and serpents by the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. We do not sympathize with the devil because that's what the world does. And we do not live like the world. In fact, we know that Satan is the prince of the world, so it's no wonder why the world sympathizes with him. But yeah, we do. We certainly do not forgive the devil. Megan McD from Instagram asked, are you planning a home birth? Yes, I am. This is actually something that I was convicted of before I was even saved. In 2020, when I saw how absolutely disgusting these hospitals were treating families, um, not letting them see their loved ones and not letting fathers into delivery rooms and stuff like that. I knew in that moment that I would absolutely not, I would absolutely not give birth in a hospital whenever it was that I would have a baby. And so when I became born again, um, it was a pretty easy no brainer that this, you know, God set it up this way for a reason. It was never the hospital setting. It was never part of his plan. Um, and I just hear so many horror stories, even from people that I know personally that have had a hospital birth versus a home birth. It's like night and day, the difference. And, um, yeah, I am 100% having a home birth. I am so excited. There is no fear. It is like total surrender and faith in Holy Spirit 
And in, you know, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And this is no different. I'm just so looking forward to it. I know that Holy Spirit is going to be moving, that my God's going to be with me throughout the entire process, that it's going to be this absolutely beautiful wrestle with a miracle. And I cannot wait. I am so excited to give birth and to experience the 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 peak of what god has designed my body to do it's such a blessing now um i have question seven here how do you prohibit certain interests or secular interests without turning legalistic and this is from jenny her username is g3nnyy so i'm assuming that's supposed to be jenny so how do you prohibit certain interests or secular interests without turning legalistic? Well, my first my first uh, question or my first inquiry of that would be take it to the Lord. That was my initial gut reaction when I read this question. You got to take it to the Lord. Anything. A anytime this, this comes up like, can I do this or that? Should I do this or that? Take it to the Lord. You have a relationship with Holy Spirit. So really press into that and trust that. He is going to reveal it to you. This is something that I had to do with Christmas. If you just watched my Christmas episode a couple weeks ago that I have out with my friend Emmanuel on the whole topic of Christians celebrating Christmas, that's what I did because at first I had in my head that I was not going to celebrate Christmas because I just wanted to be obedient. I was like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to celebrate X, Y, Z ever again. I'm just going to whatever. And so I actually had to take that to God and say, God, is it okay if I celebrate Christmas? And what he revealed to me was that I was being a little bit of a martyr. And it was something that I I felt like I wanted to do, not necessarily out of like reverence or fear of the Lord, but it was more like it felt like something I had to do to save face for, honestly, all of you guys um, or to save face for... How, oh, this is how I appear on my walk with the Lord. And he showed me that, you know, he's a good father. He doesn't want to just completely annihilate all joy from our lives. So he gives us these biblical boundaries, right? He gives us these biblical boundaries. And as long as something is within the frame of those biblical boundaries then it's okay. Like the, you know, when we know his character, when we know his spirit, it's okay. Um, now that being said, take it to the Lord and just trust God, trust God. You know, these topics like, like Christmas and things like that, this is not something that I'm not open to being wrong to even now, because I am never too good to say, I know better than God or I know better than a revelation that he wants to show me, anything like that. So I would say, ask yourself, like, am I doing this, you know, dropping XYZ secular or worldly thing because other people told me to or because God said I should? That's why with every single stream that I do, every single episode I put out, I, I encourage y'all, take this to the Lord. Take this to the Lord. Take this to the Lord. And Matthew 10 says to fear God, not men. So legalism to get back to the question, legalism is doing it for men and holiness is doing it for God. It's it's that genuine reverence of the Lord, right? It's that love of him. Whereas falling into this martyrdom, 
of, well, I just got to do it. I just, I got to crucify my flesh, not out of a place of love, but like of a place of, I just gotta, rather than I get to. It's false humility and it's, it's not coming from love. It's actually vanity and pride because religion says, do I look good to other people? Whereas relationship to Jesus says, do I look honoring to God? 1 John 2.27 says, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So my point in sharing that verse is, again, take it to the Lord. You have a relationship with Holy Spirit. He is your best teacher. He is your best teacher. That's why I, again, always say in these episodes, Whatever I say, please don't take what I say at face value. Please take it to your prayer closet. And then lastly, with this question, test the spirits. Again, if it doesn't match God's word, if it doesn't produce fruit of Holy Spirit, then it's a no for me. And it should be a no for you too in that case. Um, so eight, do you think it's possible for someone to lose their salvation? All right, let's strap in because everyone in the chat is still stuck on the baby baptism thing. Um. So here's, here's something else that we can fight about in the chat now. Do you think it's possible for someone to lose their salvation? So <laughs> this is from J. Dusra, J-D-U-S-R-A. Um, scripture is clear. Scripture is clear that we are saved by grace through faith. However, scripture is equally clear that faith without works is dead. So this does not mean that works maintain your salvation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But it does mean that works are evidential of your salvation. So to that I say, saving faith works. I just heard that recently. I thought it was the most brilliant way to describe that discrepancy. And now that being said, as far as the can you lose your salvation, I'm still wrestling with this doctrine. I'm not too good to admit that. Um, because I do see both sides of the argument in scripture. So I just need to, I just need to go deeper with it. That's all. It's on me. I need to go deeper. I need to pray on it more. I need to ask for more revelation and context from the Lord. But what I've recognized with these sorts of topics is that the answer is always somewhere on the middle on these super polarizing topics, like, you know, eternal security or, um, deliverance, for instance, right? There's always a biblical middle and proverbs even speaks to that saying never go too far left or never go too far right it's always the middle or as jesus says the narrow right um and few will find it why do you think there's so much polarization within the body of christ because everyone's left right few will find the narrow middle and i really found that these sorts of topics is somewhere in the middle um because there's always truth on both ends that is not being reconciled from either side because people get carnal, it's the internet, all of these things. But I do wanna say, so people who are afraid all the time, people who are afraid all the time of losing your salvation, this scripture right here, sorry, I lost the chat, there it is, okay. People who are afraid of losing your salvation, John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I think that the devil will sometimes try and scare us and be like, oh, you messed up one time. You lost it. 
You're not, you're not right with God anymore. When that's in fact, a, that's a demonic lie from hell. The devil condemns, Holy Spirit convicts, right? So if you're constantly paranoid, you can take peace in what the word says, knowing that the word of God will never return void and God's promises are always true. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You are his if you are his. Now on the other hand, right? Again, not too far left or too far right. So we don't want to go into greasy grace and use this verse. If you want an excuse to sin and get away with it, like you use that aforementioned verse, you need to look at this scripture, right? So it's like the other hand where we're kind of coming into the middle. Hebrews 6, 4, 6 says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. So you see how those two verses don't actually contradict each other because John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. But then Hebrew says they fell away. So that's not something that, that's not something that can be taken away from you, but it's something you could fall away from. But I don't like to say the word lose because it's like making making the uh the gift of eternal life sound like car keys like oh i i sinned today i i lost my salvation i you know it's lost with that with the car keys i can't find it again hebrews shows us more so like a rejection of or a renouncing of um not like you mess up once and lose it but the thing is like it if you have genuinely believed you're not going to you're not going to fall away that's how i see it so i'm not sure if i can land in the once saved always saved theology because of free will i personally believe it's super arrogant to take free will out of the picture here because god ch chose to give us free will that's why adam and eve were able to sin in the first place that's why we are saved by grace through faith. That verse could easily say we are saved by grace, period. It says we are saved by grace through faith because faith is our move on the chessboard, right? God puts forward the peace. That's Jesus Christ on the cross. Our move. Come forward. Faith, right? It's free will. And faith is trust, which is a choice. And the whole gospel, I think, collapses in on itself when we when we remove free will because without free will there is no love from us and we love because he first loved us the entire gospel is a message of love so i believe once you're saved truly saved why would you ever fall away from him why would you ever turn from him why would you reject him if you're truly saved, you wouldn't choose that because you would have that revelation of what that sacrifice meant for you, for him, mostly. So back to saving faith works. You'll know them by their fruits. That's what the Bible says, which can only be produced from abiding in the vine. So... This topic really can't be over-intellectualized. Um, you know, we have to at some point be okay with having 
with the inability, we have to be okay with the inability to understand or fully comprehend the mystery of God, right? All things will be revealed to us when we're in heaven, but right now he's a, the, the, there are things that are a mystery. And I don't, I hate seeing people try and like over intellectualize these topics on Instagram all the time or on YouTube all the time, because it's in some ways a mystery. And I would say if you're struggling with this topic to just pray on it, basically every answer I have for all these 20 questions is pray on it. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Lord. Surrender control. Pray for a revelation. So that those are my thoughts. Um, I don't know if I subscribe to once saved, always saved, but maybe it would be better to say once saved or once truly saved, all saved. I don't even know if that works. Like I said, this is something I still wrestle with. I'm not ashamed to admit that, but those are my thoughts right now. Like I say, everything else, take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Nine says from Avocado Tux. It's a great username. Did you get free from smoking weed immediately or did you struggle with fighting temptations? So I have an episode with my friend Taylor Scroggins. Um, we have a two-part series actually. Um, the episode, What is Deliverance, is where I share for the first time my testimony of how I actually got set free from marijuana and it was a spirit. It was 100% a spirit. Um, I needed deliverance. And people will say, oh, she got deliverance. That's because Jesus isn't enough for her. But the truth is, Jesus is the one who delivered me from marijuana because I could never get free from this sin by my own works or by my own strength. It had to be at the touch of his finger that I got set free from it. He is the one that delivered me from marijuana. And no, the temptation has not been there since he delivered me from that spirit because it was a spirit that was leading me to it over and over and over again, no matter how much I wanted to quit for the first year of my walk. And I haven't touched it since. I haven't wanted to since because the spirit is gone. Um, and I know people want to put that in like a religious test tube. And that's okay because Satan can't cast out Satan. It says so in scripture. Jesus says that himself. Jesus is the one that delivered me from that. So all glory to him. Hallelujah. If you want to hear more, that episode that I mentioned with my friend Taylor is available on this channel. What is your opinion on birth control from Desiree Millby? Desiree.M-I-L-L-B underscore. So what is my opinion on birth control? Um, it's antithetical to Genesis 1.28. Birth control is antithetical to Genesis 128, where it says, be fruitful and multiply. The least sinful aspect of birth control, like the soft end of birth control, is that it's a lack of surrender. It's a lack of faith. And then the most sinful part, the worst end of birth control, is that it's actually direct rebellion. Because we're commanded to have babies. We're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Oh, but I don't want to have babies. I don't want to have babies. Then don't have sex. It's very simple. But look, God created this very wonderful order where you can experience incredible sex with your husband or wife, to be clear. And guess what? Yes, yeah, sometimes babies are the byproduct of that experience, all in his will and in his timing. And if you are his faithful servant, you will honor that timeline and not rebel against what could be 
his desire for you to have a child by taking birth control and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And also, there are people praying every day to have a baby. Every single day, praying to have a baby that are grieved every time they take a pregnancy test that comes out negative. So birth control is also is also just this heart posture of ungratefulness to what the Bible describes as a reward. The Bible describes children as a blessing from God. So you're out here taking birth control when there are people praying every day to become pregnant. You are ungrateful for the for that reward or that blessing that the Lord may potentially want to grant you. So yeah, birth control is uh, it's a satanic liberal feminist doctrine, honestly. And this sort of issue, how you respond to this sort of issue, really reveals your heart. Because if you're triggered by that, me saying that birth control is direct rebellion of God, then you are putting your selfish carnal desires above God. So praise the Lord. That's a chance to repent if this is triggering to you. Now we have question 11 from Tiger Lily. Tiger, I think that's supposed to say Tiger Lily. It's T-G-E-R-L-I-L-L-I. Says, Disney movies and my kids. Have you thought about what you will show your daughter? Okay, so I actually, um, Michael, please look in the chat and let me know afterward what gets the most votes here, okay? So I have an episode, I have two impending episodes coming out with my friend JT. His username on Instagram is JT follows JC. <laughs> um, he's really smart and he has a lot of information about these sorts of topics. Next week, he's going to be on the show. He's going to come on a Heaven and Healing podcast and we are going to live stream about either Marvel or Disney. So... That being said, whatever one we don't do next week, we will actually pre-record together and that will be out sometime in February or March when I go on my YouTube maternity leave when my baby comes. So I need all of you in the chat right now to respond either Marvel or Disney. Which one? Which one do you? Yes, I know Marvel's owned by Disney, but they're both, it's it's just, my, my husband had to pop in with that. It, it's it's a it's layered okay it's the symbolism in the movies themselves specifically so yeah so maybe we should do disney first given that um would you rather do marvel or Dis marvel or disney marvel or disney Ta okay let's just drop that drop that in the chat um now personally for me sayla will not be watching disney movies <laughs> um because they're full of witchcraft and worldliness and just like well, like I said, I'm going to be doing the episode with JT, so you'll find out all about what Disney is and what Disney stands for. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, Disney seems to be winning. Um, all right. 12, what is your view on communion and why? This is from Will I Am Walker 29, William Walker. Okay. So what is your view on communion and why? It's like a candlelit dinner with God <laughs> communion. It's a beautiful experience, not a religious one, okay? Communion is a privilege, not a burden. It's something we get to do, not something we have to do. 
And look, communion, this topic is not salvific, but it's just one of those things like everything else that Jesus commands that you should just want to do from a posture of love, not of obligation. Obedience is not the same as obligation. Obedience is a willingness to do something because you are doing it from love, just like a marriage, right? Like you're obedient to your spouse, not because you have to be, but because you love them. You do things for them because you love them. You want to please them. It's the same thing with Jesus. We take communion because we want to please him, not because we have to do it. And I just think that communion is a, it's like a gorgeous deepening of scripture. It's a deepest, it's a, I can't speak. It's a gorgeous understanding and appreciation for the covenant for us that has been made possible only through the body and blood of Christ. And I think it can be, this is just a thought, it's a great thing to teach kids who are very visual, like explain to them what communion is and why we take it and what it represents gives them something visual. Luke 22, 19 through 20, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So it's just, again, communion is like a candlelit dinner with God. All right. Um, 13. And no, communion doesn't save you. And yes, you're still saved if you don't have communion. Just had to address those, those issues in the chat that we have right here. Okay. Um, you're saved by grace through faith. Anyway. Okay. 13. Tips on how to fast in a biblical way from Johanna Hugel. So fasting is like not an option when it comes to uh, the word of God, right? Because it says in the word, when you fast, not if you fast. Just like how in 1 John, it says, if you should sin, not when you should sin. So it's, it's interesting how Christians sort of like flip-flop these two verses and like say instead like, oh, when I sin or, oh, if I fast, when actually... It's the other way around. It's when I fast and if I sin, right? But it's just like a, con a convenient way that we kind of manipulate the word of God to rebel against him. So that being said, I think to not fast is is a lazy heart posture of a Christian um, because it just shows this unwillingness to just surrender your flesh, which we're, we're told to crucify our flesh in the word of God tips on how to biblically fast. Matthew 6 says that we should not grumble or complain when we fast, that we should basically, you know, it says wash, you know, wash your face. No one should know that you are, um, no one should know that you are fasting. We should be so humbled and poised and joyful that no one around us knows that we're fasting. That means you don't have to post it to your Instagram story that you're fasting. You don't have to tell your family, you just fast. You know, we, we're at a fast in private. It's something that we do so God sees, not so that man sees. Again, it's back to that legalism thing, right? We do things out of reverence and holiness, not because we're doing it to look better than someone else or to be some sort of martyr, right? It's relationship, not religion. Fasting is a way to deepen your relationship with the Lord, not to be super religious about it. And honestly, fasting is awesome. 
I miss fasting being a pregnant lady. I really do. There's things that I have gone through. Look at my belly. There's things that I have gone through where I'm like, wow, I really wish I could fast through this right now because it's such powerful prayer. Um, and it's incredible. Fasting is incredible because it's literally the epitome of crucifying your flesh. It really trains you to walk in spirit. Push away your plate. You have to train your body that it is not the boss, that your spirit is, and that your spirit is actually sealed with Holy Spirit. So he's the one that's in charge. Fasting is just submitting to that authority of Holy Spirit that dwells within your spirit and telling your body, no, it's like training a dog, right? So it doesn't bite you. And I really think so many Christians are carnal because they have not undergone the practice of fasting. You got to teach it. Like I said, it's a dog. You got to teach your body. You got to teach your flesh, your flesh who is master here. Otherwise it's going to bite you. And so our flesh is the same way as that dog. So I'm comparing all of us to dogs. It's great. Um, also, if you've had deliverance and have not gotten free from whatever spirit it is you're trying to have prayed out, Jesus himself says that only that certain demons can only come out through fasting. So keep that in mind too. If you're struggling with something, fast and pray that it would leave. Like we just talked about my deliverance from marijuana. If you've been delivered from that spirit and you still have this like, ugh, like you can't even help it, like you want to stop, but you physically cannot control it, maybe you should try fasting. You should try fasting and praying on freedom from marijuana. Once you start fasting, it's awesome. It really is. I love, love, love fasting as as much as it, it's it's grueling. Again, it's just like the epitome of crucifying your flesh. It's awesome. And that's the thing. Jesus says his commandments are not burdensome. So not only is fasting possible, it's actually enjoyable. It's actually enjoyable because you're living in spirit. And when your flesh protests, you lean into spirit. You pray. You fall to your knees. You fall to your face. Or you take authority over your flesh. You say, no, you submit to the blood of Christ in Jesus' name. Fasting is amazing. People are saying, how do you start fasting? You just start. Honestly, just do it. The first time I fasted, I did it for two days. Start small. Again, it's just like the Bible plan. Like, don't don't set this um, crazy, over overzealous goal for yourself. I'm going to fast for a week. Just two days. Even one day, right? Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Um, yeah, that's what my husband did. His first fast was one day. We both fasted the day before our wedding. It was lovely. Um... Disney one. Okay. Well, me and JT will be talking about Disney next week. Follow up for Marvel sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. My husband just said that Disney made a statement about how they have to pull back from the wokeism because it's affecting their, it's a risk. It's affecting their sales. Okay. Um, 14 says, what do you, what do you do when you feel shame for your mistakes? This is from La, La Monica Gabrielle. So when you feel shame for your mistakes, I wanted to answer this because shame does not come from God. 
Like I said before, condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction comes from Holy Spirit. God will never shame you for anything that you have done, past or present. He has nothing but grace and mercy for you. He is always waiting with open arms for you to repent. And as soon as you repent, you are instantly forgiven. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I mentioned this before on my eating disorder episode that the devil, all he, the devil has is your old man that Paul talks about. We put off the old man. We put on the new man. All the devil has to show you is your corpse. All he can show you is the old man and say, look what you did. Look who you were. And that's when you stare him right back and you say, get behind me, Satan. I am a new creation in Christ and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Thank you, Father, that you have forgiven me. You don't even have to cry, plead, and beg to be forgiven. You can just say, thank you, Lord, that you have. Thank you that your finished work on the cross means that I am forgiven. All the devil has is your corpse. And he's going to dig it up out of the grave and show it to you like a mirror reflection. But guess what? That's not who you are. That person is dead. And you have risen in new life with Jesus Christ. You are redeemed. You are made righteous by his righteousness. You are spotless in the spirit. If we could see ourselves in the spirit, it'd just be like Mr. Clean. We would just be Clorox. That's a really bad analogy. We would just be like Clorox walking around in the spirit because we're just so clean before the Lord. Okay, and the devil's going to convince you that you're always dirty, that you're always too filthy for God. And it's just a lie. It's a lie. So if you're feeling shame, rebuke that shame in Jesus' name. Renew your mind with the truth. The word promises that the truth will set you free. So if you are submitting to shame, it's because you have not submitted to truth. You're still believing a lie so you don't feel free from the shame. Renew your mind with the word of God, with the promises that Jesus Christ has made for you, has made possible for you. And that truth will set you free. And when you submit to God in that truth, that you are made clean, that you are made righteous, that you are a saint, the devil will flee. That's what the word of God promises. This is why getting in your word is so important. You have to know the word. The word is described as this, as a sword. The word of God is a sword. You know why? Because when the devil comes at you, you just cut him off. You literally cut him off because you have the word of God stored in your heart. You have it stored in your heart. And so you can rebuke those lies, those whispers from the enemy with the truth that sets you free. When you submit to the truth, the devil will flee. Okay. 15. What are your thoughts on Christians who mix new age like crystals with their faith? This is from the starlit Canva. Okay. So what are your thoughts on Christians who mix new age with their faith? They need to repent. They need to repent. Um, if you can't give something up that is, that God's word is clear on, which in this case would be divination because using crystals is divination, then you love that something more than God. You love that something more than God. And that is the biblical definition of idolatry. If, if you can't even consider the fact that your crystals are divination, it's, it's an idol. And so even if you can't consider that 
crystals are a sin of divination, the fact that you can't even bring yourself to take it to God means that it's an idol, which is also a sin. So either way, you got to repent there. So Christians that mix New Age with their faith, they need to repent. And what you need to do as their friend or loved one is pray for them. You need to get on your face before the Lord and petition on their behalf, petition for their eternity, petition for their repentance, okay? Because this goes back to the losing salvation, re renouncing, rebuking would be walking in direct defiance of the word of God, right? So pray for those people, pray for those people. Because Jesus says, if you love him, you will keep his commandments. That's what he says. 16, been a Christian my whole life and don't feel as confident as you speak as a new believer. Tips. This is from 7 Paoa, P-A-O-A-Y-A-2. So they say, being a Christian, been a Christian my whole life and don't feel as confident as you speak as a new believer. Tips. So first, I want to say, don't be so hard on yourself. Um, have grace with yourself as he has grace with you. Now that said, I wanted to answer this question. Holy Spirit really highlighted it. I tried to scroll past because I didn't want to answer it, but he highlighted it for me. And you know why? Because he loves you. I can't really pronounce your username, but you know who you are. The Lord knows who you are. He loves you. The fact that you asked me this and that he wouldn't let me skip over it. He's drawing you to himself. He's a good shepherd. It says his sheep know his voice. He is drawing you to himself right now. Hallelujah. Now, the fact that you're asking me reveals your problem, though, because you're asking me. You're not asking him, right? How, when's the last time you fell to the floor when you fell to your face weeping and saying, God, I want to be on fire for you, Lord. I need, I, I need that fire. I need that zeal. Father, just set me ablaze for your word. Just completely surrender to him. Be so humble, right? Just exercise that humility and just falling to your face and just begging him to just fill you, to just give you a fresh anointing of his spirit, to just set your soul, your spirit on fire for him with a zeal that will never go out, with a hunger that will never, that will never be too full for more. Okay, this is the exact conversation that um, the unwise virgins had with the wise virgins. In Matthew 25, it says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, 
Go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other ones also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So the person asking this question, right? How do I have the same fire that you have? The answer is here in this parable that Jesus told about the virgins. You need to get your own oil, right? I can't share mine with you. Anyone that you're watching on YouTube cannot share their oil with you. You have to get your own. You have to get your own oil. You have to be that wise virgin. So even though it's a quote problem that you're asking me instead of going to your prayer closet, going to the secret place, going to the word and getting that oil for yourself and you're asking me for mine, it's also amazing that you're hungry for that confidence and that zeal that you see in me. It's amazing that you're hungry for my oil because the solution is so easy. It's to simply get your own, okay? And it's it's better, it's so much better for you to feel conviction that you don't have fire than it is for you to be comfortable that you're lukewarm. And so you're on the right track. You're, you're on the right track. Like I said, he's drawing you to himself. He is a good shepherd. His sheep know his voice. He wants to hear you. He wants to know you. He wants to pour out his oil right into your lamp so that you have it and you're prepared for when the bridegroom comes back. So I really pray that was a helpful one for you. 17. What are your thoughts on burning incense? This is from Sincerely Angsty, which again is a strange username. Okay, but what are your thoughts on burning incense? So there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about burning incense. Incense is actually quite biblical, but just like everything else, like the New Age ruined it. I mean, if you <laughs> if you were in New Age, then you know that we used it for all of our rituals. We always had to have it burning, blah, 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 blah. And honestly, it's like the kind of thing where I probably wouldn't recommend it like if you were an ex-New Ager, just like I wouldn't recommend if you're an ex-alcoholic to have wine sitting out on your counter. And it's not because it's going to be so overwhelming. It's not because you can't overcome the temptation. It's not that there even would be a temptation. It's not because you're going to get demons, but it's just because of what it represented in your past, right? It's just like I said about the devil showing you your old man, showing you your corpse. Why do you want to dig up the stuff that you buried in the grave and just have it sitting out on your counter? So... You know, that version of you is dead now. Why have something around that was such an idol for you? Why have something around that was such an idol? But again, you can take this to God. You can take this to God. If you want to burn incense, go ahead, burn incense. But I would be, I would say this, I would be wary of the source and the packaging, like where you're buying it from, because a lot of incense has like super new agey branding. I'm sure a lot of it is prayed over by witches before it goes out for distribution. 
Um, a lot of it comes from new age shops, whether it's like first sale, second sale kind of thing. So keep that in mind too. But when we get really religious over stuff like this, I think that it can be a major stumbling block as well, because if it's like, oh, can I even have a cell phone? You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. So again, just take it to the Lord. Like everything else I say, take it to the Lord. Question 18, living in sin for years, don't want to do anything drastic that will be a stumbling block for my boyfriend. This comes from Archetius, A-R-K-A-T-Y-I-I-S. Okay, so I'm glad you wrote in with this question because it shows that you know you're wrong and you know you need to repent. And um, you may have asked this because you were hoping I would give you some sort of leeway as to why this can continue or how you can sin in some sort of like gray area because, oh, maybe if I just sin a little bit, my boyfriend's heart will soften to Jesus, right? And look, sis, I love you, but um, I care way too much about your eternity to lie. So I have to lovingly rebuke you and tell you, you have to stop. No matter what your boyfriend says, no matter how drastic he thinks it is, okay, you have to stop. I had the same posture as you, you know, when I first got saved and I was with my, you know, praise God, he did get saved and he is now my husband. But back then he was not saved and we were just engaged. And I went to my pastor at my church praying that he would say something like, oh, just love him through it. Jesus is, you know, Jesus is patient. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is kind. Jesus is gracious. And that was not what he said. He was like, well, how are you going to have kids with someone that doesn't love Jesus? How are you going to have a life with someone that doesn't love Jesus? How are you going to, how are you going to submit to someone that doesn't love Jesus? Like he rebuked me at the altar. And I was like, like my jaw was like on the floor because I wanted him to justify why I could stay with him. I was really praying that he would, he would tell me something else, just anything else. Like, oh, it's okay. Just have some patience. He's like, no, if you're living in sin, you got to stop right now. And you have to consider your future, your relationship with Jesus. And uh, if this guy doesn't have one, well, sorry. It was kind of like, like he didn't say it like that, but that was, that's how it felt. Um, and so, yeah, you have to be more concerned. And this was my pastor from Philly. This was his heart for me. And this is my heart from you, for you, that you have to be more concerned with stumbling yourself rather than stumbling him. So back to that story of when um, the man that's now my husband, he's over there right now. He says, that's me. Before he was saved and one day he will come on and we will talk all about this together. We'll tell you the story in full detail. But we were still living in sin when I first got saved. And um, I felt so much conviction that we could no longer fornicate because I understood that it was fornication. And I tried, I tried, I did mental biblical gymnastics to try and justify fornicating because I was like, well, I was like watching YouTube videos. I was looking at scripture about one flesh. I'm like, well, technically, biblically, we're one flesh already. So God kind of sees us as married. All And this is like what the devil does, right? He's like, did God really say that? It's like, yeah, God's pretty clear that the sexually immoral will not see the kingdom. But, 
you know, the devil tries. So I tried really hard. I could not shake the conviction. Holy Spirit was moving in and through me. I came home one day and I told him, we cannot sleep together anymore. We cannot fornicate anymore. We cannot do these things anymore. He was not saved. And that was very drastic for him. I'm telling y'all, telling a, a man in the world who does not care about Jesus or care about biblical values that you've been sleeping with for X amount of years and you're suddenly going to take sex away from him, it's going to be drastic. But guess what? It's actually more of a stumbling block for him to continue living in sin with him than it is for you to stop. Or you know what I mean? It's more of a stumbling block for him if you continue living in sin than it is for you to pull back that sin from him. You can't be afraid of the consequences. I was terrified. I was so scared. I mean, like we basically broke up. Uh, it's a really long story. I'm not going to get into it now. We basically broke up at that time. It was in all the 14 years that we had known each other, me cutting off sex as a believer when he was not one was like the biggest breaking point of like anything we had ever been through. It was kind of insane, but God had a plan. And like I said, one day my husband will come on and share his testimony in full. It's not mine to tell. Um, but our, our situation, I will say, is unique. But with that, I did stop sinning with him, right? I'm not sitting here saying that every person you're with right now, if you're with an unsaved person, don't worry, they'll be saved too. Because I can't guarantee that. But what I can tell you from my experience is that I surrendered to God's word. I did what he said about no longer fornicating. I surrendered that no matter the consequences of the relationship, because my relationship to God was more important. And he did end up getting saved later. But that may not have happened if I never surrendered in the first place. Right? So God is clear on fornication and sexual immorality. Y'all, I got to stop. You got to stop. And Look, know that your forgiveness is immediate, just like I talked about before. Forgiveness is readily available to you with open arms. You just have to want Jesus more than your sin. Forgiveness is always there. You just got to want Jesus more than your sin. And you have to understand with that, God is not trying to withhold good things from you. He doesn't want to withhold good things. He's actually trying to protect you from bad things. And he's trying to bless you with something so much better than this thing that is sinful in which you perceive to be good. You know, the world says you're in freedom. The devil says you're in freedom, but you're giving your body to someone who does not honor God. And therefore, if he does not honor God, he cannot love you by God's standard, which is how God desires you to be loved by a man that is your husband. And that's the man he wants you to submit your body to. Not a fornication, but a biblical covenant of man and wife, okay? So God is not trying to withhold good things for you, from you. He's actually trying to protect you and bless you. 19, we're almost done. If you were a new believer again, what would you do differently? This is from Carrie.Ford underscore. I've answered this question before across different 
platforms um, in different episodes, but I would handle the um, situation with my ex new age friends differently with more grace and love and understanding. Um, you know, in hindsight, I was, I was so new to my faith that I was just afraid. I was afraid I didn't know enough and I didn't cut them off, but I also didn't try as hard as I could have because I let the devil scare me away from them. And, you know, there was a lot of natural falling away just within our dynamics because the common denominator of our dynamics, of our of our relationships, the common denominator of the relationships that I had with my new age friends was predominantly sin, witchcraft, rebellion, right? So when I got born again, that naturally fizzled away. There was just a natural separation there because I no longer wanted to sin and they still did not believe they were sinning. And so natural falling away. However, I wish that if I could go back, I would have met them for coffee. I would have met them for walks like we used to and just profess the faith. But the thing is, I was so new. I don't, I didn't have the revelation that I, I was like a newborn, right? And newborns can't even talk. So that's kind of where I was. So I do have grace with myself for that. I don't shame myself for that. But whenever I get asked this question, that's the first thing I think of because I always wonder to myself, could I have said or done something differently that could have planted a seed of faith? Could I have done something differently that would have planted a seed of faith? Um, not that even as I'm saying that out loud, I'm recognizing that's even a lie from the devil because I could never be responsible for their salvation. But, you know, it's just because I love them. I still love them so much. And I want to, I want them to be set free. I want them to spend eternity in the presence of the living God. That's all I want for them. I pray for them all the time, every day. So, yeah. Uh, the second thing I would have done differently is I would have gotten baptized sooner. If I had the knowledge I have now, the day I got saved, I would have run into a baptism pool or run into a lake or run into the ocean and said, baptize me because, wow, made the biggest difference in my walk once I was baptized. And um, the third thing that I would have done if I could do differently, um, if I could do differently, being a new believer again, I would not have been a cessationist. I would not have been a cessationist because I basically went from one deception to another. I went from the new age where everything is hyper-spiritual to cessationism where spirituality is dead and um, it's all religion. So that's what's something I would have done differently because since I've really like understood the fullness, like the entirety of the word of God, where it says he's the same yesterday and today forever. And like when I read scripture, I, I I comprehend and I understand it fully. It's not just something I'm intellectualizing, but it's something that's like reveling within me. Like my intimacy with Jesus is so deep. It's so deep. And there's no more justification of sin like there's just, I just walk, I walk out repentance. I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Whereas before with that like cessationist, like greasy grace kind of theology that I fell into when I was first saved, there was a lot that was lukewarm because I was really afraid for one, I was really afraid. And two, I was just being deceived again. 
because I didn't have proper discipleship. And so I guess that's something else I would have done too is would have found someone to really properly disciple me, which I'm grateful for. I have, I have those people in my life now, but I definitely did not then. However, you know, all that to be said, I understand that God allowed me to go through all of these things. Um, and I've, and I've gone through them thus far in my walk so that I could ultimately just testify to his goodness, his power and his glory, because that's how he works all things for those that love him. Um, they're good and his glory. Did you get lip injections? Mike, someone asked me if I got lip injections. It's not fair. <laughs> no, I did not get lip injections. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said at the beginning, I burnt my lip. So someone said I need to burn my lip. It looks great. It really doesn't. Like if I were to show you underneath, you would not think it looks great. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, question 20, what has been the hardest part about pregnancy? This is from Tress W underscore. Water. Okay. What has been the hardest part about pregnancy? I wanted to end with this question because I love talking about Sela. Um, pregnancy is not hard. That is a mindset, that is a belief, that is a faith thing. I have an episode called What to Expect When You're Expecting. It's only about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and I put that out when I was like 23 weeks pregnant because I had this massive refinement when I uh, was toward the end of my first trimester where I realized that I was putting my faith in what the world told me my pregnancy should be like. I was putting my faith in my flesh. And I was really not putting my faith in the word of God or in his spirit, right? And and so I was like submitting to the symptoms. I was submitting to the symptoms. So I started submitting to my flesh. So I started submitting to temptation. So I just like stopped praying and kind of fell out of um, just this like radical... What's the word I'm looking for? Just this radical showing up because I was like, well, I'm sore today. I'm this today. I'm that today. And I had this massive revelation when I was praying. You got to just crucify it. You got to get in your word again. You got to pray more. You have to lean in and recognize that the devil is trying to distract you from what a blessing this is. And when I had that revelation that it was like, really spiritual warfare and the devil was using the physical symptoms you know what my flesh was experiencing to his advantage i just like it was just like a snap overnight where that com that mindset completely flipped right death and life in the power of the tongue i stopped speaking death over myself i stopped saying i'm so tired i'm so sure i'm so nauseous i just would say like I'm blessed. Like, I am so blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And guess what? It wasn't getting out of the first trimester that made those symptoms stop. It was getting out of that heart posture that it was a burden that made the symptoms stop. Um, and I couldn't do that in my own strength because if I was just pregnant in the world without Jesus, I'm sure this entire pregnancy would be hard and miserable. But because his grace is sufficient in my weakness, 
He has actually enabled me. He has empowered me to walk by spirit. He has empowered me to walk in his Holy Spirit. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And guess what? My pregnancy has been joyful. And when I get those moments of those temptations of like, oh, this is uncomfortable because now I'm at the point where my belly is large. I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. What a blessing. Like what a blessing that I get to experience the discomfort of my belly getting so large that I can't put my shoe on. It's such a miracle. It is such a miracle. Like praise Jesus because my baby is growing. She is healthy. She is strong. She kicks and she swims and she does gymnastics and she puts her foot in my ribs now and she likes to like be really fluid and move around a lot. And then I'll say, Mike, look at my belly. And then she stops or I'll turn on my camera and then she stops. Like she, it's, I'm getting to know her already through the womb and it is the coolest, it is the coolest thing. It is the coolest thing. And I just love her so much. I'm obsessed with her. There is nothing burdensome about pregnancy. There is nothing burdensome about being a mother. I am blessed. The word says that children are a reward from God. And he saw it fit to reward me with this beautiful little baby girl on my wedding night. She just kicked now. How cool is that? She, I love you. Say hi to the internet. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to finish with that because I'm, I'm so obsessed with her. I am so obsessed with her. Um, now, let's hang out in the chat for a little bit. <laughs> I just did a Q&A, so let's do another one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I pray that you are blessed by it. Please do consider financially partnering with the ministry. Different ways to support the show are listed in the episode description, so be sure to check that out. If you were fed today, don't just dine and dash. <laughs> and be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member that you feel could use it. Post it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can personally thank you for supporting Heaven and Healing. If you are interested in hearing or watching the Q&A live chat that happens at the end of every live stream, you'll have to subscribe to Heaven and Healing Podcast on YouTube to watch the rest of the stream where we do that live Q&A at the end. Thank you all so much again and God bless.